every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Jamie Geyer, CMO of Seros, a cloud-based platform encompassing a collaborative, real-time digital canvas upon which designers create animated, interactive content without the need for a developer. Jamie has worked with leading tech companies from healthcare to education to grow and scale by creating impactful brands, designing revenue-gathering go-to-market strategies, and leading high-performance teams. On this episode, Jamie shares her insights into the power of educating your buyers, how to create valuable connections with inspiration, and why it's important to put customers at the core of your business. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals, buying intent, and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Jamie Geyer and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I'm joined by a special guest. Jamie, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Ian? I am wonderful, excited to have you on the show, excited to chat marketing and demand and your background, everything in between. So starting out, what was your first job in demand gen? How far do you want to go back? Dealer's choice here. <laughs> okay. I'll actually go way back to when I was a kid and I just happened to have the right product. So it sold itself. 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted. I'm a Washington state native. That was May, and that summer we had a family reunion in Iowa and did a road trip from Washington to Iowa. My sister and I had an idea of taking buckets of ash since it was a big global event. A lot of people knew about it, and we sold vials of ash along the roadway. And as we saw that there was big demand for it, we kept increasing the price. I think we finally got up to 25 cents a vial. But that was my first memory, and I think, and I was, God, I'm going to date myself here, but third grade when that happened? I think I bought a, uh, a vial of ash when we went up and visited Mount St. Helens when I was a kid. I don't know if I was a, a customer or if I was if it was secondhand ash or where I got it, but... <laughs> Maybe it made its way, but I, I do sometimes wonder if anyone held on to that or not. And now I'm wondering, was that even legal? But it doesn't matter. I was in third grade, right? It was 1980, so... Not as stringent back then. And so flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about your current role. Yes. So I'm the chief marketing officer of Seros. We're based out of New York, though I am here in Seattle. And we have a content creation platform to help B2B businesses create immersive interactive content as part of their digital strategy. And so I oversee everything from brand editorial to digital marketing and demand generation, product marketing, and creative. And what are the types of companies that, that you all work with? We work with 
largely mid-sized to large enterprise customers. We're global. And so we have about 900 global brands that are partners of Saros. So anyone from United Airlines to Kempton Hotels. We have a partnership with Pinterest. So if organizations do not have a license to Saros, our studio, then they can partner through Pinterest and do post-click experiences. And so Lego, for example, is a customer of ours through that Pinterest partnership. So we have multiple channels, but we are in various verticals in different industries, from healthcare to education, manufacturing, B2B software, real estate, you name it. Anyone who sees content as pertinent to how they go to market and how they serve their customers, we're there as their partner. All right, let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is where we go and you can feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. We've heard a little bit about the company and your customers. Who is your buying committee? Who's the person who signs the dotted line? The person who signs the dotted line is me. So it's typically your chief marketing officer. Perhaps it's the head of marketing. In some cases, depending on the organization, it could be your VP of creative. So Prudential is a client of ours and our primary buyer and champion. It happens to be their VP of creative. And then our users are our designers or any type of creator that has a design background or is design savvy. One of the attributes of our platform, Ian, is that it's no code. So you don't have to rely on front-end web developers to do the animation and the interactivity of the content. So if you're a content marketer and you are familiar with, say, some of the Adobe tools, you can easily get into our studio and create immersive experiences. But it's largely used by designers, and the buyer is the marketing head. Yeah. And you mentioned some of the types of customers that you go after. What does your go-to-market strategy look like? What is your marketing strategy, and how does demand fit into that? Yeah, so we have an ICP that we adhere to. We've learned over the years who are the ideal buyers and users of our technology. Usage and adoption is really important to us. But I would say that our go-to-market is any organization, again, mid-size and up, who has a design team but sees content as absolutely critical to how they go to market and serve their customers as well. And so for all intents and purposes, we have the marketing persona. So anyone within a marketing role that oversees marketing strategy, content, digital, they're one of our our larger personas. And then, of course, the designer as well. And we take the approach, Ian, which is be where your customers are. And so we have a multi-channel approach to how we engage from exposing our brand all the way down through evaluation of our technology, even if it's in a competitive situation. What I love about Saros, because we are a highly creative organization, is that we value even those things that can't be tracked and measured, but we know instinctually and through intuition where buyers are going. So for example, this podcast. And so we may not be able to measure it, but we know your listeners are likely going to go and, and check out Saros. Maybe they're going to see an ad of ours on LinkedIn or say in some other community. But we take into consideration that 
the places people go to get information isn't always trackable, but we're not going to, for that reason, not go to those channels. And so it's one of the important pieces of how we go to market is just making sure that we're visible where our buyers are, whether you can track or not. How do you organize your structure to go acquire those accounts? You mentioned a little bit of what marketing owns. How does that relate into your sales team? We have a really solid relationship with our sales organization. It's a partnership. And so we have collectively determined which segments we're going to go after. We do have target accounts that we focus on, but also we realize that there are going to be buyers that come in outside of that. We have both an outbound SDR team and an inbound SDR team. And so marketing is measured on inbound-based pipeline contribution as our sales team is measured on outbound pipeline contribution. And so we have a handshake agreement in terms of how much pipeline we'll generate through both inbound and outbound and work very closely with them on how we do proper handoffs so that as a buyer shows interest, and we book a first meeting with them. We hand them over to sales to continue the relationship and make sure that that customer is served. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are uncuttable budget items? Content, <laughs> of course, and not, just, and not just because we create content and help other people create content. But I've listened to many of your podcasts, and and I share a similar point of view with many of the CMOS that you've had on your on your podcast. And content is really important for how we expose our brand, how people can find our brand, engage with it and get them to take some call to action. And so content is really important because it feeds all of the channels that we use. And so it begins with that, it will never be cut. We have a whole team of people just dedicated to our content assets, whether it's for paid media or for landing pages, infographics, quizzes, any sort of of asset that we think is going to emotionally hook the buyer and get them interested in exploring more about Saros. Google Ads is probably one of our highest performing channels. In fact, nearly 60% of our demo requests that came in in Q1, for example, came in through Google Ads. Again, we recognize that it's not just one thing that gets somebody interested, but that is the last touch that gets somebody to fill out a demo request form. The other, and I find this really exciting, I know that you had Kevin Tate on here from Clearbit. We're one of their customers. And I'm really keenly interested in in intent data. So we use Clearbit to de-anonymize website traffic and then we retarget on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. And that's showing to be extremely valuable and driving up high quality leads at a lower cost than other ways that we do lead generation. I think the other, and this seems so old school to even talk about, but email marketing, good old email marketing. And so we made some investments there and doing some nurture campaigns and our email strategy is working. We have really, really high open rates and click rates. We're just very intentional about how we use it. Again, we have a multi-channel approach. 
but I would say those are largely the uncuttable budget items. I would say though, Ian, too, that events, events work for us. And so we have a whole event strategy. We're actually going back in person. We have our first event coming up at the beginning of May. Super excited about that. But those are the high touch ways to have that face-to-face time with your buyers. I'm curious, marketing to marketing people, content for content people, a lot of that stuff, obviously you drink your own kombucha or champagne or (laughs) beer, dog food or whatever. But I'm curious, like, it is a space that is a little bit more tough. We're our toughest critics as marketers and as content folks. How do you break through the noise there? You break through the noise by offering a value exchange with your customers. You need to be relevant in what you're providing them. And I think sometimes where we go wrong with content is we sell our product. We don't educate our buyers. And oftentimes we're looking to be educated on best practices, Look, I've been in marketing for 27 years and I still don't know what I don't know. And even for myself, the content I interact with most are best practices, top five ways to do something. So they're very educational in nature. And that's a value exchange because I'm then more willing to give information about myself to to retrieve what I think is going to be something valuable to me. And so the approach that we take at Saros in our own go-to-market is how do we offer something of substance that's going to help somebody be better in their jobs, whether or not they partner with Saros. The reality is, is that we have expertise and we want to offer that to other marketers and designers who are looking for answers to problems that they might have or are simply looking for solutions or new fresh ideas for how to do their jobs. So It is about how we offer value to our buyers and to our customers, by the way, because you want to continue to feed them once they become partners to you through inspiration and and education. But we fall into the trap of wanting to sell a product or service instead of leading with valuable advice or information that they might be seeking in the first place. And so that's the, the approach that we take. And I think that this is going to become even more important, Ian, I've written about this, that as we move to a cookie-less world, which is coming up, it's going to be much harder for marketers to get the information that they need. And so people are, are less willing to give up their personal information for privacy reasons. And so they're more willing to do it if you give them something of value. And so your content strategy should focus on that and make it fun for them. Make it fun for them. Make them want to interact. That's why I think there's a lot of power in quizzes and surveys and things of that nature, even games, which we do a lot in our studio. Those are really high-performing assets that our customers love and use even within our own studio. Yeah, it's a great point. Especially in B2B, there's a lot of cookie-cutter stuff that we all end up doing, and it just feels like noise. But when you find that thing where you're like, oh, this is so good, you're like excited to subscribe to it. You're excited to get emails about it and all of that. And I think that that's super hard to do. But at the end of the day, it's about creating something that's worth coming back to. And that's what people want is, oh, this is so good. Like, I don't want to miss out on these. And that's something we try to do with our podcasts and other types of content is just create something that somebody trusts a standard of quality that is worth coming back to. Exactly. And I think people are always seeking to be a better version of themselves. And so if you offer a way 
to show them how they might do that, whether it's in their personal lives or their professional lives, they're going to gravitate towards that. Totally. What about a budget item that's maybe one of your most cuttable or, or something that's hasn't been working or maybe might be fading away? I can't say that there is a thing that's cuttable. And the reason why is that we actually have a separate line item in our budget for testing. And so if something's not working, we don't just automatically cut it. We try to diagnose why it might not be and then course correct. And through testing, we found that we're simply improving the things that may not have been working. And so there's not something in it that we would necessarily cut because I think we've been very intentional about understanding our buyers and, and where they go to get information. So we've got that down pretty well, but it's really just optimizing the channels that we currently use. But that test budget is super important. And I think sometimes that's the thing that gets cut. And marketers understand the value of it. I think it's it's selling the value to others who may not be within our profession. But that's the, the item you don't want to cut because it helps to optimize the other ones that you have in place. I want to go back to content for a quick second here. I, I think that generally speaking, especially in demand, there's an endless appetite for experimenting different types of content. And it's so crazy. Content is so multivariate at this point. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, any best practices that you see people running in terms of plays from a content perspective from either your customers or yourself? The first rule of marketing, which is just know your customer. I know that sounds so basic, but in a very complicated world, sometimes we forget the basics. The other piece is make the customer the champion of the story. So as you're thinking through not just the channels, but in terms of content, what are you going to create that helps to put your customer at the core of what you're offering to them? And again, it seems so basic, and but we miss those things, again, because we get so focused on, on product. But if we think about the way that your customer's and the places that they go, and you take into a lot of considerations, firmographics, demographics, and you offer up the best content that you can that's educational in nature and makes them want to learn more because you're helping them solve problems. Those are some of the things that you have to think about from a content strategy perspective. And then also really important to that, and, and sometimes this gets missed, is marketers work in many different tools. And so even if they have a content creation platform like Saros, they also have to be able to share and disseminate that information. And so integration with other systems, whether it's a, a marketing automation system or a sales enablement platform, that's really important because that is part of the workflow. Tracking and measuring uh, tools are important to that so you know what, what's driving performance. Also, fully recognizing that not everything is, is trackable, so some of the intuition has to play into that. But I think some of those are some of the considerations on that. But it does, it, it really does begin with just understanding what motivates and inspires your buyers, where they go to get information. How do you create that value exchange? Because then they'll engage with what you're offering them and will want to continue the conversation even offline. How do you view your website? Well, the website is the information hub. And so we use it to get people to the information that they need. But we also use landing pages 
for those who really truly know what they're seeking and what they want, we can easily get them to a landing page so they get the information as quickly as possible and can reach out and open up a conversation with us. But our website is both there to inspire. So we have a, a gallery on our site where whether you're a, a user of Seros or not, you can go to that gallery and get inspiration from what other customers are doing, other businesses are doing in terms of content creation and design. It also offers up inspiration for those that are just needing a new idea for how they may want to design or communicate to their own buyers. We have education. We've exposed all of our education on there. It's for customers, but we're very transparent and our site's pretty open, even down to our product knowledge hub. If you have an idea for our product, we don't limit that and gate it just for customers to submit those. We actually allow other creators who are not using Saros to give us ideas. And so the website is multi-purpose from the standpoint of offering what our customers need, but also just the market at large. You can see it as a website of inspiration, a website of education, and a website for people to engage directly with Saros. All right, let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career, Jamie? Oh my gosh. Where do I begin with that? By the way, I think dust-ups are very healthy. They offer up an opportunity to debate ideas. When I was working, it was a a company called IDX. We were eventually acquired by GE Healthcare. And I was working for a business unit. We were really keen to come out with a refresh brand and a new product name, which had implications even for the broader organization. But I knew to be successful, I had to really push that through And so the dust up was, I just went for it. And our central marketing team was not really happy that I was leading the charge on it because I was part of a business unit, but ultimately was able to get them on board because the agency that we used did a great job. And they also were forward thinking in how could the branding of a business unit be applied to the broader corporate company. And so ultimately, the good news is that the brand strategy for the business unit was ultimately adopted by the larger company, but it required a lot of tough conversations with other executives getting involved. But I knew it was the right decision that we had to make. It ruffled feathers, no doubt about it. We had to come to the table and have the courageous conversations around why we needed to do it. I have a question about inspiration. You have seros.com slash inspire with all these great examples and things like that. Why the word inspiration? Why is that the one you chose? Because we are inspiring new ways of thinking about design, around creativity, around just the possibilities. And so sometimes people get stuck And we can get into the status quo of how we do things. And we want to inspire a world of creators to be the best that they possibly can. 
and to see the possibilities. And that's what the Inspire Gallery does for the community at large. Yeah, I think about this a lot. We've heard from listeners for this show or other shows that you know you want to learn, but also you kind of want to be inspired by listening to folks who are doing things a different way. It, it's funny, I feel like I don't wake up any day and think to myself, I need to be inspired today, right? But we all do kind of need to be inspired and in how you take inspiration and the different things like that. I think it's a pretty core element to being a marketer is like finding things out there and borrowing those and beg, borrow and steal, whether it's dollars, ideas, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So- I used to say lift, plunk and smooth. But yes, when I was <laughs> on that, but think about this. We are largely a remote first workforce anymore. Most companies have. Whereas we used to be in the same space, whiteboarding ideas, riffing off of each other, standing in small groups and having these conversations. And now here I am behind a screen having a conversation with you. And so those moments of inspiration are now confined in a very isolated way to a large extent. And that's okay. I mean, there's, by the way, there's a lot of benefits to being remote first. But we see a bigger calling here outside of the studio that we offer, and that is how do we just continue to inspire people from their homes or if they're in their offices? We feel like that's part of our contribution in doing that. And we look, we all get stagnant. We all sometimes gravitate towards the status quo. We run out of ideas if we can provide and showcase some of the best of the best or what we think is the best of the best of how other companies are approaching content creation and design and writing and and how they really motivate their own buyers and customers and how they sell their own products and services, we want to be able to surface that up. Okay, let's get to our final segment, quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like how quickly you can talk to someone on qualified.com. Qualified, they're the best. We love them. They've been with us since the very first episode of DGV. And Qualified Prospects are on your website right now. So go talk to them quickly with Qualified. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Jamie, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, what's a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? I recently picked up pickleball, and I'm actually really good at it. That's fun. How about a favorite book or podcast TV show that you've been checking out that inspires you? (laughs) Well, your podcast, of course. That inspires me. I am a big fan of Daniel Pink, and so I just picked up his latest book, The Power of Regret. So I'm reading that right now. I'm an avid reader, by the way, so I don't have a favorite book. I read probably four books at one time. Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that indirectly makes you a better marketer? Being a mom. I'm a mom to a 15-year-old, and he inspires me every day, and he is my go-to person on all of the latest technologies that they're using to engage with brands, whether it's Fortnite, Minecraft, the whole metaverse. We didn't even tackle that, Ian. Maybe that's a different show, but... Yeah, that's uh, a different different day. A whole other thing that's weighing on me right now, but I would say being a mom. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO trying to figure out their demand gen strategy? First cardinal rule of marketing, know thy customer. It begins there. If you weren't in marketing, 
or business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Archaeologist. Without a shadow of a doubt. Spent time in Egypt. My folks had lived there and was amazed at all of the artifacts and history. And I'd be an archaeologist, which seems really bizarre given that I do marketing. What's your favorite campaign? Okay, this might be a little surprising. I'm going to go way back. This is before we had access to a lot of the, the digital technologies. Before Mount St. Helens? Not that one, not that far back. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when I was in healthcare technology, selling very large electronic medical record systems to hospitals and health systems, the best way to really show off your technology is simply taking them to a client site. And that's not always feasible. We can't take a group of people to Mayo Clinic or elsewhere. And so we had this idea of, well, we'll bring it to them. And we built a mobile digital health system to some degree replicate what a hospital looks like from beginning to end. It was based on the day in the life of a patient. And we would do a storyline of how to use technology to support the best patient care from the moment they, they arrived to your system all the way to discharge and all of the financial systems. It was a fun campaign because it required not only this mobile structure, but it required our own employees playing the lives of nurses, doctors, pharmacists. We had our own patients in there. It was scripted, and it was a phenomenal way for us to be able to go out and showcase our own systems of how we support patient care. And it was so popular that when we were working with the National Health Service, the UK was rolling out electronic medical records across their country. They got wind of this, saw it, and had us build one for them as well. But it was a really cool way, Ian, to allow people to experience our technology in a somewhat real-world way based on the day in the life of a patient. Show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. Might be my favorite takeaway here. I love it. That's awesome. All right. Quick, before we get out of here, thoughts on the metaverse. One minute thoughts on metaverse. Thoughts on the metaverse. I've advised my fellow marketers to learn and test. There's so much that is ambiguous about the metaverse. I mean, we argue over, is it a metaverse, the metaverse, multiple (laughs) metaverses, but the reality is when we think about Gen Z and if that's an audience that you market to, that's where they're spending their time. So learn about it, test how you can extend your brands into the metaverse because it's here to stay. Personally, I prefer the real world. I mean, I take the James Halliday approach, which is only in the real world can you have a decent meal. But the reality is for certain generations, they're in the metaverse and we have to figure out how to engage them, whether it's there or outside. I love it. Jamie, so great chatting with you. Thanks again for joining. Everybody go to Seros.com, especially go to Seros.com slash inspire to, to check out some of those examples. They're really cool. A lot of cool design and content examples there. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Just happy to be here with you today and your listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, indeed. Take care. You too. The Gen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at qualified.com conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.